Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in to us this week and I know for many of us today has been a dose of reality after a nice long Easter break but um, I know not everybody is lucky to get those wee times off work. We're getting to the time of year when for many houses, it's a stressful time. I know over the Easter break, there was orals, there've been mock exams in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, for many people, it's the kind of year where we might be looking at our own education and maybe could we be doing more in terms of the environment? Could we be upskilling? And I thought it might be an opportunity to check in and see what those upskilling opportunities are right here in the Midlands. And to discuss this with me now, I'm joined by John Kelly. And John is based out in Mount Lucas in County Offaly. Um, John, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks a million, Ashton. Thanks for having me on. Now, John, you might first off introduce us to what exactly the centre that you are involved in in Mount Lucas does. What What's the job there? Okay, so the National Construction um, and Training Campus in Mount Lucas is part of Leach and Offaly Education Training Board. So our remit uh, specifically in Mount Lucas is to offer training provision in the areas of construction particularly. But the centre itself has been designated one of six centres of excellence for NZEP and retrofit provision. It's also the home to National Scaffolding Apprenticeship and it's also home to a National Skilled Utilities Operator Traineeship. So it all revolves around construction training. And if you go back far enough when the Leash Not the ETB took over Mount Lucas itself, the tradition would have been around CSCS training. So in other words, training for uh, construction related plant machinery. So we've expanded the provision here um, while focusing on the needs of Leach and Offaly Education Training Board um, in the two counties. We also have a national focus here particularly. So um, in twenty in last year, in 2021, um, sorry, in 2022, Simon Harris um, designated here as the new demonstration park for modern mist of construction. So um, that is work is underway there already in relation to us being the home, if you like, for um, showing people how to actually uh, create new houses um, in relation to meeting housing targets as part of the housing for all and the national retrofit plan. But in particular, a place where people can come and look at modern methods of construction. So in other words, you, there will actually be physical buildings on site here that people can come and look and observe and research um, uh, from there as well. That is, that's a mouthful. Uh, you know, and you think of like, you know, what, uh, my family comes from not too far away from that area of Offaly. And like, it is a bit, and I hope people don't mind me saying it, it's, it is a bit of a blink and you'll miss it location. And yes, all of this really important work going on that, uh, you know, I think from, even from my own perspective might be flying under the radar a little bit. So I was reminded about um, the work that you're doing very recently when I saw one of the ads that you're running at the moment for the retrofitting scheme. And I think anyone that I've spoken to over the last number of years, whether it's around getting their home retrofitted for, to make it warmer or more energy efficient or or even out of a willingness to do their bit for the environment, the challenge has been not only getting the money together, but then finding someone available to do it because 
we are short tradespeople and, and even very simple jobs, it is hard to get tradespeople in because they're so busy. And and that's a great thing for that sector. That's not a bad thing, but, but it is frustrating from a consumer side of things. So I suppose before we go into the successes that you've had recently in Mount Lucas, just talk to me about this course that's getting underway in the next couple of weeks and, and who are you looking to attract? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose actually... Um... We, we offer an awful lot of different types of training in relation to NZEVA Retrofit. So they're designed from the new entrant all the way up to the skilled uh, manager and professional. So if you, if, you, if you just look at the types of people it's open to, so it's open to everybody. So if you're in the area of construction and you want to upskill, we have provision there. But if you also want to get into construction, like if you look at two reports that the government launched, we have the Housing for All plan and we have the National Retrofitting Plan. Both those reports illustrate 900,000 homes that have to be interacted with. So Housing for All is we need to build 400,000 homes and the National Retrofitting Plan is we need to upgrade 500,000 homes. So if people are looking for a career in construction, we can offer them a pathway. Um, right. So they can come in here as a new entrant, which means mm-hmm. they have minimal construction experience and we can put them on the pathway then. So we can start them off. They can do training with us. And the idea would be after that training, they will go and join um, a construction company and work as part of a retrofitting team. Um, and then if you look at the other aspect. And then, John, just be- before we move on to that other aspect, what yeah. kind of entry requirements are there? So for the likes of, say, some of the basic training, we offer that they must they must have some relevant construction experience, so three months experience on site, um, and they will do the entry level, if you like, the foundation courses in NZEB and Rentrovit. For people that are already in the trades, the likes of apprentices that are going through, we offer training for those as well. So in, in Leash and Off ETB, we have two um, spaces where we train, one in, in Midland Skills in Tullamore and the other then is in Mount Rat in County Leash. So both of the apprenticeships that are offered there, blowing an electrical wood cone here and do their NZ fundamental awareness training because at the, at the end of the day, all trades are impacted by the new building regulations and also with the retrofitting plan. So to bring those up to date while they're going through their training, that's what we offer here one day program. And then the last cohort is the existing qualified people that are out there. And that's who we're doing an awful lot of our work with at the minute, kind of 75% plus of the people coming through here at the minute um, are coming from uh, the existing workforce. So we're upskilling those people in relation to areas of NZ ventilation, NZ fundamental awareness, the whole area of air tightness, vapor control, external wall insulation. So we have different courses on offer. And the good thing about it from an employer's perspective is we offer that in a hybrid model. So they will do online training uh, that's conducted here in our web boot, but they, they can do that from the office or wherever they're, they're able to get time to actually sit on the course. And then the following week or two weeks later, they'll come here in person and they'll do their, their training here on site. And in so relation, not, they're not losing then a huge yeah. chunk of yeah. time off, say, yeah. a construction project or that. If and and I suppose, say. yeah, and I suppose the biggest thing to mention there is all of our courses here in in NZEB and Retrofitting are fully funded. So in relation to um, the cost to an employer, uh, if they are willing to let their um, their staff come here for training. Uh, it's free of charge to them so that if, if they're willing to give them the time to do the training here and I suppose the feedback we're getting is extremely positive across the board in relation to the outcomes of the course like if we take uh, two weeks ago we had a company up from Cork so they literally sent eight people from their company up here 
and they um, stayed in Tullamore and they were here for the week's train. They'd done their online, but there was a guy there, they're, they're one of their uh, contracts managers, and he had 14 years experience in the industry and he said he was looking forward to it, but he was more so there to to see how it was going from their perspective um, as opposed to learn himself. But he said he's 14 years in the trade and the amount of information he learned that was so relevant to the job that they're undertaking currently uh, was unbelievable. So that was really good feedback to get back, um, you know, from a live course. And it is like, it's a really important point because like, I know in my own sector, like, you know, I, I am an expert in what I do, but there's always room to learn because the the laws change, the technology change, just the general practice and customs change as we all evolve. So, yeah, so like that, that level of upskilling, even if you're in construction for donkey's yeah. years, you know, yeah. it is worthwhile. And the fact that you offer it in a, in a hybrid way means that you're not having to take six or seven weeks off site to do this kind of thing. Now... I said earlier on that, like, you know, uh, growing up in County Offaly, Mount Lucas um, was always a blink and you'll miss it kind of a location. It wasn't necessarily a place to to write home about without wanting to be unkind. But like in the last 18 months or so, the government, as you mentioned, have rolled out these ambitions as to what they want us to be doing and the training of tradespeople in particular. And I know, John, you might tell us a little bit about it. They set a national target and Mount Lucas has has turned out to be a really significant player in this. Yeah, if you look, um, we were very unfortunate here when we started this process. uh, We had RT down, we had a big launch, and then unfortunately COVID kicked in. So Mm -hmm. there was a pause button put on. But I suppose given where we are located, we had a huge focus as part of just transition to work with board and moan workers. So that's why we kind of moved into this space very quickly. But in relation to numbers then, so in 2021, I feel like that was our first kind of dipping our toes in the water. We trained 433 people in the year. Um, the national target set for last year was 2,000 people for the whole country for upskilling in the area of N7 Retrofit. So we trained... 1152 people here so over around 57 percent of the national target was achieved in mount lucas by itself so it's incredible yeah so um unfortunately or unfortunately the problem when you're hitting targets and doing well the targets tend to go up so this year of course it is it is 1500 um and today as we're speaking uh here tonight uh, we're with 400 people gone through the training center uh, just at the end of q1 this year so we're on target uh, we have a very busy April ahead of us and we nearly have 200 people through the doors this month alone. Um, and I suppose, yeah, we're doing our best here. We are working collaboratively, uh, collaboratively with the other ETBs that are, are delivering training with the other six or five centres of excellence. So um, the the reason for that is to ensure consistency across the board. So we, we have to reply to the needs of the sector and the government has set targets. So we're, we're achieving those targets here when we're more than achieving them. But it's down to look, we have a great team here and we have the purpose-built facility. So when you come here to do training in NZEB and Retrofit, you will be working on a bungalow. You will be working on a roofing system. They're all simulated inside our construction training centre, um, but it's all fully built exactly to match and mimic exactly what they're seeing on site. So all the learning outcomes that they need to hit. And the big thing I would mention, all our courses, they're not designed by Leash and Offaly to be in a silo. They're actually designed in consultation with the industry. So we'd have the SAI, NSAI, the Department of Housing, um, contractors, installers, manufacturers, supply chain, 
uh, subject matter experts. And then we're obviously linked in with um, the Technological University of the Shannon uh, through the DASB unit down there. And one of those uh, members, Liz O'Brien, sits on the panel as well. So we're putting together new programs. It's based on government reports. It's based on technical guidance documents and also supported by the industry. So to, to ensure that the courses that we uh, develop are future-proofed and relevant for the needs of the day um, as we're rolling out the courses. That's very good to hear because I know sometimes, regardless of what sector you're in, you know, there can be a bit of cynicism around upskilling or retraining in that, ah, sure, this is just somebody up in, in government buildings in, in a little white box and they've just drawn this up and now I have to go back and waste my time doing this. Sure, I'm already doing it. You know, yeah. so to have that industry involvement is very important um, in educational terms and I know is something that the LOETB is is particularly interested in and passionate about. Yeah. So, John, like, as you said, like, you know, you had... An unfortunate start with COVID, like, you know, none of us want to really think about it anymore, but it was unfortunate. You had great yeah. plans. And then all of a sudden we went into lockdown. Um, but you've really come, really come out of the gate um, fighting um, since lockdown has lifted. What are your hopes now for, for the future of the centre? Like rolling out 57% of the national target you know, that's that's nothing to laugh about. That's a serious yeah. contribution to the national effort in, in tackling climate change. So so where would you like to see the centre develop in the future? Well, I suppose um, where we are at the minute is exactly where we want to be, but we don't rest in our laurels here, so we're, we're trying to push forward. So as part of the modern measures of construction demonstration park, there will be a new unit built to increase our NZM and retrofit provision because at the minute, we're almost at capacity here, um, so we want to ensure that if, if if the need arises that we need to train more people, that we have that ability here. So we have increased the team here and we have more instructors on board. But as part of the MNC park, we have um, additional capacity in a new building. Uh, again, purpose built will create another fully simulated environment, but it just means that we can, when we can take it to the next level. So at the minute, we're upskilling existing employees, but we're also working on a program with the Construction Industry Federation in relation to attracting people into construction and offering the whole idea of career um, pathways into construction. So we are actually working with the transition year groups um, in Nation Offaly at the minute as a pilot program. And what we're doing is we're bringing transition year students to the centre here and they actually will expose them to the types of, of training needs that are there. And it's also revolves around the existing senior cycle curriculum as well. But if you look, look, I, I'm a small cog in a bigger organisation wheel here and the support of the, the senior management team, the director of Tony Dalton in particular, and our chief executive, Joe Cunningham, like they have big visions for this place. And look, we're, we're achieving them and we're, we're way above where we possibly are, were expected to be. But we have a, an ambitious uh, ambitious drive in all of us to try achieve targets. And look, if the government or national asks uh, for training and it's relevant and there's rationale behind it, no better at ETB than Leash Offley to achieve those targets. Um, and like just to give you a quick example there, um, we had an open event here with uh, the SEAI and the Brown Alder contractors and we do, did a Q&A session. We asked them, where is the blockage? Where do you need people trained in? What is the area? So that was in October of 2021. And by March, we had rolled out a pilot program in external wall insulation. We ran 10 of those and that program now has gone for a QQI certification. So that will be basically a, ma a major player 
for people getting certification in the area. And when the NSAI and SEI are pushing people to professionalise and to raise the standards across the board in the sector, it's courses like the ones we're putting on yeah. to achieve those. Because there is a fear out there that some of the craftsmanship may not be up to um, building regs. Um, it's fine if it's SEI grant approved because they, they're independently observed. But for people who are getting small extensions built on the back and things like that, there's a fear out there. If they're not upskilled properly, they could end up doing damage in 10 and 20 years time. So we want to ensure we're at the cutting edge of developments, but all our training is completely um, industry supported and recognised across the board. John, does that mean then, like if I were to look and decide, you know what, and, and look, if I win the lottery, I'll be doing it myself soon. But like that I need to get the house reinstated or, you know, um, a more maybe put solar panels on the roof. Like, should I be asking the contractor, you know, what courses have you done? What certifications do you have? Because I think there is a tendency to to maybe phone around to maybe the neighbours that have had similar work done. And well, was, was he or she nice to work with? Did they do the work on time? Was it a good price? We might not, we kind of tend to take contractors on based on recommendations from people we know and trust. We don't necessarily look for qualifications, but should we be doing that nowadays? Um, look, yeah, my advice would be at the end of the day, if you're doing SEI approved work and there is a grand scheme there available, if you're just like, there's there's all area of retrofit, whether it's a deep retrofit all the way to a shallow retrofit. So I suppose what they can do is find out what it is get your house assessed first is the first thing and see like what your options are because you know it may require a heat pump it may require external wall insulation it could be that you're upgrading the attic so mm-hmm. if you go through the SEI that's that's the best advice because number one is independently or independently um, observed but more importantly all the contractors have gone through rigorous um, assessment and also they have to prove that they're competent and they have to be up to date, fully insured, all those kind of basic things that you'd expect. But it, you have that re- reassurance that if you go through SEAI or SEAI for any kind of upgrades to your house, at least you know you're going through a government agency, but more importantly that they can stand over each and every one of their um, employees or approved contractors. But yeah, first protocol is get your house assessed because some people aren't sure they want to upgrade their house, but they're not sure what exactly they should do. Mm-hmm. Like if you say the heat pump to a house today, that's great. But if you don't upgrade the insulation, all you're doing is you're heating the house, but it's still escaping. So depending on the option, depending on what you're looking for and also depending on your budget. But the good news is that there is grant schemes available there all the way down to just basic added insulation um, and then from there the whole way up to a full retrofit. So depending on, on what you're looking for or what you can afford. But if you want to ensure that the builder that you have employed or engaged is fully compliant and fully up to date, the best way is to go through the SEI approved contractors. And of course, the SE, the SEAI is the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland and SEAI.ie is a fabulous website. I've been on it several times myself and it's really easy to use and easy to follow. Um, so if you are thinking about doing something like this at home yourselves, we would recommend that you check out the SEAI website on SEAI.ie. John, if you've piqued the interest of our listeners who are in the construction industry or maybe you're thinking about heading in that direction, how should they get in contact with yourselves in Mount Lucas and in the LOETB? What's the process? 
So yeah, if the, the best way for all um, NZ Respiratory Training Coaches contact the centre here directly. So they can go onto our website mountlucas.ie or they can contact the centre directly on 057-936-2508 and that'll get you through to one of the NZ teams. So um, the waiting list isn't that long. So we, we work very hard to make sure that we meet the needs of industry. So um, if you ring today, you'll be guaranteed you'll get on a course within a couple of weeks. So, you know, we work very hard to ensure that all of the popular courses, let's call them that, i.e. introduction courses, we run lots of those every month. The longer duration courses, we run two of those every you know um, every month. And all the course information is on the website. So if they go on to mountlucas.e forward slash nzip, they'll see the full cohort of courses there on the little house icon and they can just find out more information. But if they're unsure where they fit in or where, you know, if they're, are they actually reskilling or are they looking to come in as a new entrant, the best thing is to contact the centre directly and one of the team here will talk them through what courses are relevant for them. Because that's sometimes is the fear. Mm. NZEB are four letters, but what exactly does it mean? Um, so, you know, if I want to, but there is a career in this, like I said earlier, there's 900,000 homes have to be interacted with. And that's just the starting point. You know, that's before we attack hospitals, schools, public buildings and so on and so forth. And we are unfortunately, like we should be much further along, but we are unfortunately only at the start of it. And as you say, there is an absolute career option there for you and no better way to do the training only here at home in the Midlands with the experts. Remind me there, John, what's the number in uh, the Mount Lucas campus if people want to make inquiries? Yeah, so it's 057-936-2508. 08. So 057-936-2508. Well, John Kelly of the Mount Lucas campus, thank you very much for joining us on Let's Go Green this week. We will be back after the break. Thanks a minute. Hi, Ashling O'Rourke here. Join me on Monday evenings from 7 on Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, where we'll tackle all things environmental from how to cut your energy bills to doing your bit to help save planet Earth. And don't forget, the podcast is available on midlands103.com and wherever you find your podcasts. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you are enjoying our programme so far this evening. Well... President Joe Biden visited Ireland for the first time as president. He had been here on two previous occasions, but it was his first visit to the Ireland as the leader of the United States. And, you know, I'm sure many of you will have followed his visit. It it was hard to miss. Let's be frank about it. but he did address both houses of the Oireachtas, both the, the Dáil and the Shannon in a speech in the Dáil on Thursday afternoon. And I was, I'll admit, pleasantly surprised to hear a mention of the climate crisis. Um, it would have been nice to hear something more concrete on this topic, but that's my take on it. What do you think of President Biden's stance on the climate crisis as he communicated it to the houses of the Oireachtas last Thursday afternoon? The deep connection that has always existed between our people and the land has translated into a commitment to fight climate crisis, to preserve our planet for future generations. The single existential threat to the world is climate change. We don't have a lot of time. And that's a fact. They're even recognizing, finally, everyone's recognizing America. I've flown over more territory in the United States since I've been president in a helicopter that has been burned to the ground 
and comprises the entire state of Maryland, equal to the entire state of Maryland. Ireland's famous 40 shades of green are being supplemented by green energy, green agriculture, green jobs. Make no mistake, the entire world sees and is drawn to the opportunities that exist on this island. The skilled workers, the high-tech infrastructure, the innovators who are breaking barriers, the connection and kinship you share, not just in the United States, but the countries around the globe. I know you all know it, but maybe sometimes we forget it. Ireland is a hotbed of cutting-edge science, research, and emerging technology that's going to influence so much of our shared future, for real. Working in partnership with Ireland, the United States, together with the European Union and like-minded parties around the world are going to ensure that those technologies are grounded in the same core values we have championed for so long. Democracy, human rights, freedom of opportunity for everyone, not just for some, for everyone. You know, uh, I hadn't planned on running for president again in 2020. My son, Bo, had just died of stage four glioblastoma after coming back from Iraq after a year. He was the Attorney General of Delaware. As a matter of fact, he should be the one standing here giving this speech to you. But, you know, um, I started to write a book talking about how technology has always changed the world, and we were in an inflection point in the world. And the technology was changing so rapidly, and things were changing so significantly that it wasn't so much who led any country. It was the changes that are just happening in, at, at incredible speed, incredible speed. Look what's happening with artificial intelligence right now. It holds enormous promise and enormous concern. Our, our world stands at an inflection point where the choices we make today are literally going to determine the future and the history of this world for the next four to five decades. Literally, not figuratively. We're at one of those points. I had a professor at school who said an inflection point is when you're riding down the highway at 60 miles an hour and you make a radical turn six degrees in one direction. You can never get back in the course you're on. That's who we are as a world. Well, to discuss what President Joe Biden said to the House of the Iraq this last Thursday afternoon, after the break, I will be joined by environment correspondent for the Irish Independent, Caroline O'Doherty. We will be back in a few moments' time. Hi, Ashling O'Rourke here. Join me on Monday evenings from 7 on Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, where we'll tackle all things environmental from how to cut your energy bills to doing your bit to help save planet Earth. And don't forget, the podcast is available on midlands103.com and wherever you find your podcasts. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And I hope you're enjoying our programme so far this week. Well, let's be honest about it. Unless you were living under a rock last week, you will have noticed that we had a a well-publicised visit from US President Joe Biden. What didn't perhaps get as much media attention were his comments around the climate crisis, which I played for you there just before the break. And I thought, why not discuss this on the show? So during his speech in the Dáil, President Biden made reference to the, I think, wildfires in the US, the amount of land that has been burned there as a result. It was a tangential connection, I think, to climate change and 
that climate change is the greatest crisis that the globe is facing and will be facing over the next decade or so. There has been, I suppose, on social media, people have taken to criticise what he's said, as they do on social media. But to have a, a more nuanced conversation about this, we're joined by Caroline O'Doherty, environment correspondent with the Irish Independent. Caroline, you're welcome back to the show. What did you make of his comments? Well, I was pleased that he made them, I Mm. suppose. Um, They did have the feel of a little bit of an afterthought or um, I kind of, I better mention climate. So there was nothing really substantial said. It was that cliche, you know, climate change, the biggest threat, the most existential threat facing us all. We've heard that line so many times from Mm. so many world leaders. So, and that was it. Um, He did, you know, he did that little personal observation about, unfortunately, flying um, over lands burnt in the US by helicopter. Um, And he tried, I suppose, bring it down to something that people can can actually picture. You know, he said he'd flown over as much burnt land as would make up the entire state of Maryland. Now, for an Irish audience, I'm not sure how many people know what size Maryland is, and it's actually one of the smaller states. So I'm actually surprised that it's been contained when we see how much of the um, of California and the Midwest has been burnt time after time in these past summers. I'm surprised it's mm. only a land that equates to the, the state of Maryland. Um, so, you know, look, there's no doubt um, climate action and climate policy means a lot to him personally. The difficulty has been that, you know, it was a big plank of his political um, um, existence and his political campaigns when he first took office um, and then real life took over. Um, and yeah. that's been crisis after crisis. Um, and there was always going to be backlash anyway, because he had a real difficulty. You know, the Democrats would be, you know, the, the, the party aligned most with the workers, um, the blue collar workers, you know, the coal diggers, uh, the oil people and, and all the industries that that and all this support industries and um, the grease, grease kind of greasy hand industries that depend on that. Um, so he always had difficulty. Um, because those are the industries to suffer. But he always played it as, um, well, I'm going to provide you with new, green, clean jobs, jobs for you now, jobs for your children. They're going to be in the green technology. So he always made a point of of trying to present it as this is going to be a good transition, um, whereas obviously the Republicans always said they're going to kill your jobs. Mm. Um but the reality has been more difficult. We've had the energy crisis. Um, we've had the cost of living crisis. And all of that. Um, and the small matter of COVID in the middle of all of that too. small matter of COVID and the small matter of the Democrats not having enough uh, of their own in office to actually push through changes. He so. did highlight the fact that Ireland, like that there's quite a lot of innovation here. There are quite a lot of companies here trying to get into that green space. Um like and that connection between you know, the economy here and the economy in the US and that the collaboration between the two countries but it, like it was nice to hear i guess but you'd wonder will it have any consequence for companies in the US will they look to ireland to to maybe learn from what we're doing here or you know will it have any kind of a substantial impact in the the green economy here for us 
There are very definite tie-ins between Ireland and the US. They tend to be at very sort of, um, you know, fledgling industry, research industry end of things. And they are undoubtedly, you know, the US is watching what's going on in Ireland, Ireland, Irish universities. And there are some great, you know, innovators on both sides. You know, even the Collison brothers, those multi-millionaire brothers who started out by winning the Young Scientist competition and yeah. Stripe. One of the things they're doing with their multi-billions um, is they're investing in in um, it, it, experimental um, uh, green technologies and particularly carbon capture. And I know that's controversial because people say it's just absolutely not the answer and it takes the emphasis off carbon reduction. Um, but that's a huge issue in the US. And Biden is actually putting a lot of money behind that. He's promising, you know, money for basically every ton of carbon that you can sequester. Now, again, that's something that says that people will say plays into the hands of the oil and gas companies, because that's how they plan to meet their climate targets is they want to um, carbon capture and storage. We'll we'll keep producing the oil and gas, but we'll find some way to hold on to the carbon and and hide it away somewhere. Um, But you know, that's, it's unfortunately it's probably going to play a part in us meeting climate targets or getting anywhere close to climate targets. So there is that kind of cutting edge technology. Edge technology. It is, it is. You know, for the future, I suppose one thing you know that, that there may well be you know, tie-ins is just on even wind technology. Ireland was a leader at one stage in that, and then we just let it go completely. Um, whereas the US is is pushing ahead on that big time. Um, yeah, look, it, it's it's. These connections are good because we need the good ideas and, you know, no good technology comes without those people who are just pushing the boundaries of of what can be done in a lab, you know, and what can be done in an engineering modeling system. So, you know, yes, let's let's keep let's keep those good relations going and let's keep that flow of information going. Anything that helps that because, you know, the flow of money will follow the flow of information because if somebody hits on, you know, a good a good model. Um, but but, you know. The, the, you know, the, the flip side of that is that we have a very different economy and, and mm. regulatory environment from the US and we have so much, so many hurdles to get over here um, and just in, in terms of pushing out our green revolution, you know, in terms of planning and in terms of structures and in terms of, you know, even infrastructure, in terms of ports, you know, we're going to build our offshore wind farms more than likely in France there because we, we don't have ports here. All of that, you know, whereas the US is just very different. So very different backgrounds and very different, you know, support structures. But, you know, it, yeah, keep, keep the flow of information going and, it's very good in the US as in the past to try to reach out say, to China and you know they had this great you know um, shaking of the hands um, in, in the Glasgow um, uh, COP um, but that was to do with really trying to get the flow of you know solar mm. <laughs> um, you know China produces solar and the US needs solar and you know th- there's, a, there's a bit of self-interest in that um, Caroline so women- did we miss a trick in relation to it yesterday? Like I I had some time to myself yesterday or, or on Thursday afternoon and I sat down and I watched the speech of the Kiancorla, President Biden, followed then by Cahirlik of the Shannons, Jerry Buttermer. And I did think, in fairness to Senator Buttermer, I thought his speech was very courageous. He he, he had his husband there in the, in the houses of the Oireachtas and, and he meant he raised, you know, um, same-sex marriage as part of that. And that takes guts and he, he should be praised for doing that. And, and I don't care that we've already passed the marriage referendum. It's only a couple of years ago. So it still takes courage to do that. For that audience in that on that type of occasion, but I wonder 
could he have in that response to President Biden? And I know these remarks are always agreed beforehand and all of that. So he might not have been able to ad lib on the day. But could he have picked up on that connection, the green economy here and how that the the Irish companies, you know, that there could be more of a connection between the two countries. Could the government have used that opportunity to raise climate action and climate crisis if if the will were there? Yes, and they could have. They could have made more of it. You know, even forgetting about the maybe economic ties and the green economy and the green Simply Biden's promise to be a leader mm. to America was going to be the world's leader in climate action. It was going to show the way. And we could have mentioned that. We could have said, you know, he's been so gracious in his remarks about Ireland. Um, a little return, a little clever return to that would be, you know, well, we appreciate what you've been doing and we appreciate what you're trying to do, not just for Ireland, but for the world as a whole. And one of those things you said you would do was lead on climate. And we wish you well on that. Um, and you could go a little further to say, because we know that it, it has hit walls. <laughs> you know, this very weak, um, you know, the final sanction for new, uh, very controversial oil drilling in Alaska has been given the go ahead. And the Willow Project. Um, um, and, you know, it's hugely disappointing. Um, there are reasons why. Um, he promised that there would be no new oil drilling. Um, and obviously, um, there was another president in the interim who allowed it to go ahead. And now they say they can't back out of that because they'll be sued by one of the largest oil and gas companies in the entire world. Um, and they said they've tried to limit it as much as possible. But it's still absolutely massive. It's going to tie in the US into fresh oil and gas drilling and production for decades. Yeah. Um, that's a huge, huge U-turn. Um, and I think we could have said that because he needs to hear it. The US mm-hmm. needs to hear. The US likes to be think that it leads on things. Um, and it needs to hear that other countries were saying, well, we were really impressed by your leadership role in this and we encourage you to keep going. And you I know, think... It's words, but like, you know, like it. You know, I know here that we can be quite cynical about occasions like this. And and I know he's gotten a lot of, you know, there's been uh, criticism of, you know, he used malarkey and and there's a bit of paddywhackery going on and all of that and people roll their eye, eye, uh, eyes about it. But the American media was watching what happened yesterday and it would have been an opportunity for the Irish government to make a statement, a a polite and nuanced statement around the climate and what we're trying to do here. And as you say, that we're more than delighted to see the American president wanting to lead on the issue. Yes, we absolutely could have, you know, and yes, there's malarkey and all the rest, but that's how the world works. That's how we work in our day to day. We, we, we use banter. We meet people at the school gate in the supermarket and we don't say anything profound, mm-hmm. but we establish connections and we, we, we strengthen connections by whatever it is to chat about the weather or whatever it is. You can, you bring that up to a diplomatic level and you talk and it's a little bit of plumosing, a little bit of malarkey, but what it does is it just strengthens. It just says, you know, we have your back, but you know, we actually want you to succeed here. Um, and by through your succeeding and by living up to your promises, that helps us all. So, you know, I, I'm I'm slow to dismiss it. I know there's there is a little bit of nonsense goes around it, and there's a bit of pomp and a bit of ceremony and a bit of backslapping and all the rest. 
Um, but beneath it all, there is just that reinforcing of relations and just saying, yeah, we actually agree with what you're doing and we need you to do it. And you're right. The, you know, the, the US media would have picked up on that because, because particularly because of the weakness in it, because there's controversy at home over the Alaskan drilling. Um, so, yeah, I kind of wish we would have. Well, Caroline O'Doherty of the Irish Independent, thank you as always for keeping us up to date here on Let's Go Green. Well, after I spoke with Caroline, I put a question to Minister Eamon Ryan about what he said to President Joe Biden when the pair met at the foot of the airplane at Knock Airport on Friday. One of the aspects of this visit that maybe the public don't see is the chance for Irish government to meet US congressmen, meet their Secretary of State for Agriculture for the, for the, from the State Department. And that opportunity in this very informal setting, a very positive setting, to talk about how we work together in climate security, food security, and the new economic opportunity that's opening up in those areas is one of the real benefits of the visit. Yes, the president obviously sent to stage, but it's the ability to sit down in a very informal and positive manner with the US legislators is one of the things that I think benefits us in this type of trip. Well, I was very honoured, it was only a short greeting to be able to welcome him to Knock Airport, but I did use the opportunity to thank him, first of all, for the strong words on the need for climate action that he gave yesterday. And also to say that we are working with the US government, with the Secretary of State for Energy in the US government and the International Energy Agency on what I call the peace project of our time. That in the rolling out of renewables and energy efficiency, that brings countries together. That is something that can unite us in a very divided world at this moment in time. So just pushing, saying, you're right, keep going with that climate agenda and we can work together in Europe and America and China on a renewables agenda that brings people together. It's something that we're never going to fight over. We never hold a country to ransom over solar power. And I think that message was the one I wanted to give in the opportunity I had. And that was Minister for the Environment and Green Party leader Eamon Ryan. Perhaps I would argue those words would have been stronger were they made in a public setting and not a private conversation. But we are where we are. We'll be back after the break. Hi, Ashling O'Rourke here. Join me on Monday evenings from 7 on Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, where we'll tackle all things environmental from how to cut your energy bills to doing your bit to help save planet Earth. And don't forget, the podcast is available on midlands103.com and wherever you find your podcasts. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you've enjoyed our show this evening. Now, a quick one to wrap up with and it looks like we're now buying more electrically powered vehicles than diesel ones and to uh, talk to us more about that, we're joined by motoring journalist Geraldine Herbert. Geraldine, you're very welcome to the programme. Hello and welcome. Delighted to be here. So, Geraldine, take me through these latest figures. I, I, as I understand it, they're they're from the first quarter of this year. Okay, so basically, what we see is that twenty four percent of all all new cars that were bought in the first three months of the year have a plug. That means they're either a pure electric car or a plug-in hybrid. And between the two of these, as I said, they make up 24%. And actually, we see for the first time that they've outsold diesel. So diesel sales were in 13,227 and just above that then were plug-in hybrids and electric cars. 
So a big shift in the market there. A huge shift. And I know even speaking to somebody who is in need of a new vehicle at the moment and, and he was saying to me, oh, I don't know, could I leave my diesel behind? I love the power of a diesel and, and I just love driving. I love the feeling of driving a diesel vehicle. So I know people who are big into driving a diesel vehicle, they have been slow to shift. What do you think has convinced people on it? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I I think the diesel market will probably be the hardest to move. And if we go back to um, 2008, the motor tax changed in 2008. And before that, people used to pay their motor tax based on the size of their engine. And the diesel market at the time was about 28%. So that was kind of your core buyers in Ireland who were, you know, long distance drivers, needed towing capacity and farmers. They kind of represented the diesel market. Then, of course, in 2008, the motor tax system changed and it moved towards one that was based on CO2 emissions and this automatically benefited diesel cars and we saw a massive shift in diesel car buyers over the next few years and by about 2011 75% of new cars bought were diesel so we had all of these people buying diesel cars that really didn't need them and I think Mm -hmm. what we're seeing now is more kind of adjustment in the market again so we've gone back to that core diesel market so you're back at sort of it's about 23% now so I think that market is going to be quite difficult to move to electric though so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how much that falls over the next while but what we are seeing more than anything in these car in these sales figures this year which is interesting is people are moving away from hybrid cars to electric so people who maybe thought hybrid was the way forward for them because they didn't you know they, they weren't convinced that the network was there or that electric cars would give them the range they wanted we see them making that leap now so I think that's what's very interesting about these sales figures rather than what's happening with the diesel the market, it's what's happening with the um, hybrid market at the moment. I, I certainly fall into that category. I was buying, I, I bought my first brand new car, if, if you get me, back in 2021. And I bought um, a, a petrol self-charging um, hybrid at the time because at the time I just didn't have the confidence in the infrastructure. And it is, it, it has come on leaps and bounds. Has the government announcement recently about the infrastructure and the investment in charging points, has that given a concrete boost, do you think, to shoppers? And, you know, I think people will still need to see it to Mm. be convinced because, I mean, we've heard of these plans before and these like these, they're really meaningless. I know 100 million sounds like a huge amount of money to invest and it's great here and it's desperately needed. I think the plan to put in high speed chargers at every 60 kilometres along the motorway could be an absolute game changer because that is the big consideration for people. The day to day running of an electric car is not a problem. It's once you decide to go down the country or across the country or whatever, that's when you begin to hit issues. So I think that'll be really reassuring, but we've yet to see that. So I think when that's rolled out over the next few years and people see more and more of these charging points, they know know they're reliable. They know that if they wanted to make that journey from Dublin to Donegal or whatever, they can do it. So I think it's it's one thing to say it. It's another thing. What will really convince people is when they start to to really, really make a significant change to the infrastructure. Well, motoring journalist Geraldine Herbert, thank you very much for finishing off the programme on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Thanks to each and every one of our contributors this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and don't forget to like, share and subscribe on Google, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'll be back same time next week here on Let's Go Green. Hi, Ashling O'Rourke here. Join me on Monday evenings from 7 on Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103, where we'll tackle all things environmental from how to cut your energy bills to doing your bit to help save planet Earth. And don't forget, the podcast is available on midlands103.com and wherever you find your podcasts.